Thanks for listening to the One Voice podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien with Nicole Braddock Bromley. Joining us today, a very good friend of One Voice, Aaron Moran, a sexual abuse survivor, author, and the force behind Aaron's Law. Well, Aaron, you have been such a great friend to me um, in the advocacy world over the past few years. I know we've both been on some uh, major media shows, and I think we connected after you were on the Today Show many years ago. And I just I felt alone for so long being a young woman um, being a voice on sexual abuse for years. And I saw you on the Today Show and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, there's someone else out there like me. And it's been really cool to be able to get to know you. And I know we've um, crossed paths many times um, in our work, but also just personally, um, just with our children and, and talking about raising our kids. And and that's really fun. And But mostly, Aaron, I, I love your heart um, as far as obviously for the Lord and just what God has done in your healing. But also I've encountered a lot, you know, in working in this field for 15 years of other advocates who feel like they know what they're doing so well that they want to be number one in the industry and they don't want to let other people do what they do. But you have been such a champion for other people. And in fact, even shared some of your speaking engagements with me when you've been speaking on another day. And I really have appreciated your heart in that. And you just want to do whatever you can to protect children from sexual abuse. And that is my heart. And I'm grateful just to have found you and to have found a kindred spirit in that way. Yeah, well, you know, I think what is so crazy about us connecting is um, we've known each other for years, long before I met my husband. Mm-hmm. And what are the odds that I end up marrying a guy who was born and raised in Ohio, whose entire family lives a mile from your office? A mile, exactly. One mile from <laughs> <Yes>. my office. <laughs> I remember to go meet you and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's one mile away. What did you get there? It's the weirdest thing. What are the odds of that? <laughs> Exactly. So I'm grateful for your husband for that reason that we were able to finally meet. (laughs) And we just got to share a lot. I know the first time that we met in person, which we talked for years um, just online, but the first time that we met, you had just had a baby. And so that obviously opens up a whole new realm of things when it comes to wanting to protect children from sexual abuse because you have your own. Oh, exactly. It's, It's definitely a huge thing. Um, on my heart that has totally, you know, changed me over the course of the years, you know, now being a parent Mm -hmm. of, you know, being very precautious of who I allow with my kids because so many parents are so just don't even think about it. Let their kids go off to overnights, let their Mm -hmm. kids, you know, go and they they don't do any, you know, background in, you Mm -hmm. know, looking into where are the kids spending the night? You know, yeah, you might know mom from PTA, Mm -hmm. but did you know that grandpa lives in the home or mom's brother lives in the home? You know, a lot of parents just are way, way, way too trusting with their children. I completely agree. And, you know, I know at the time, I think I I knew I had my first son Jude at the time. And now obviously I have two more children and you have another one and, and then one on the way. So it just ramps that whole thing up in your mind. And Mary, of course, has her, her son. And so we're all in this in this weird place where we have friends who don't think a thing about it or, you know, they're inviting your kids over for a birthday party. Just drop your kid off for two hours. I've never met you in my entire life. Why would I drop my precious children off to you? And I don't know what's going on in your home. And so 
when it comes to educating kids, I think um, for me, it's become uh, my heartbeat now. And I know it has for you, too, as you've now developed Aaron's Law. And so I wanted to talk with you a little bit about that, because for me, as I'm educating, you know, you and I and Mary, we all go out into schools and we educate children. But not every school wants to do the education. And if the parents aren't doing it, if our friends aren't even educating their kids and our schools aren't even educating our kids, how are these kids going to ever be empowered for protection when it comes to sexual abuse? Where are they going to find their voice? And so it's been such an honor, Aaron. I know you have invited me to be on uh, your board for Aaron's Law, and I've been on your board for at least a year now. And I'm really grateful yeah. to be a voice there because I really believe in what you're doing. I know that the law has been passed in what 35 states now yes 35 states wonderful yeah i know we're still working on it in ohio and obviously some others so could you share just about aaron's law and your passion for that and yeah. and why you think it's going to make a difference yeah so what aaron's law exactly does is teach kids requiring in public schools pre-k to 12th grade teaching children personal body safety you know, educating them on the differences between safe and unsafe touch, safe and unsafe secrets, how to identify five safe adults to report to if, if you're being abused, because often children may find the courage to tell that one adult, but that one adult might not do the right thing. And the child continues to be abused, the child is, you know, continually um, re-victimized and silenced by that adult they told. So the importance of getting across to kids that if you tell one adult enough and the abuse doesn't end, who is another safe adult in their life they can go to? Because sadly, there are often situations, and sometimes people have a hard time believing this, but there are often situations where a child is being abused in the home, and it's being done by a father or a stepfather, mm -hmm. and the child finally discloses to mom, this is what dad's been doing to me, mm -hmm. and the mother sides with a father mm -hmm. and doesn't want to believe it because... One, they can't bring themselves to think that the person they married or the father of their children would do such a thing. Right. And two, the father is the one that is the, keeps the fa family financially together. Mm -hmm. And all mom is thinking is that's going to go to jail. Mm -hmm. We're going to end up on the street. Mm -hmm. And so mom ends up siding with perpetrator dad and telling the kid, don't ever repeat this again, or you'll never see me. You'll be put in foster care. Yep. You'll never see your siblings. You name it, I've heard horror stories. <laughs> yep, and I've heard all of so those so, from my own abusers, so I get that. Yeah, so it's so important that we get kids the knowledge that if, if you are being abused and you do tell one adult and the abuse doesn't end, who's the next safe adult to go to? So with Aaron's Law, teaching kids every year in public school, um, not, only, not only children, but also educating our educators in the schools on the proper warning signs to look for if the child is being sexually abused. Mm -hmm. The red flags that are so often missed with, with one in four girls and one in six boys being sexually abused by the age of 18, I tell teachers, these kids are sitting in your classroom, you're looking at them every day and you don't even know it. Exactly. You don't even know what is what is going on in their lives. And in my own in my own experience of abuse, you know, I was that kid that was displaying all the mm -hmm. red flags of a child being abused as a six, seven, eight year old. They had put behavior special interventionists in, in place for me. They labeled me a behavior and emotionally disturbed child. They made me repeat first grade, mm. a one-on-one -on -one aide that worked with me, school social worker, psychologist, you name it. They were doing all these things. Mm -hmm. 
but no one was addressing the issue of why this kid was so angry. Mm. Why was this kid throwing tantrums and not getting along with the other students? Why did this kid put her hand through a window at almost seven years old? Right. You know, all these things that, you know, went over, over, over everybody's head when someone could have simply been getting to the root of why I was so angry and educating me on personal body safety. Mm-hmm. Instead of just making assumptions and telling my parents, oh, she's going through a phase, yeah. you know, she'll yeah. outgrow it. Yeah. So you know, no one ever came to you easy. and said, why are you so angry? I mean, it seems so no. simple to ask that question, you know? No, exactly. No exactly. Wow. No, they, they, they just sat there and addressed to me the consequences of my anger. Mm. Timeouts, lunch detentions. You don't, you don't get recessed like the rest of your classmates. You have to sit against the wall of the school mm-hmm. for acting out in the classroom yeah. for, you know, yeah. all these different situations. You know, they were, they were dealing with the consequences of my behavior and not the reasons why I was yeah. acting out yeah. this way. And that's so sad. I mean, as we're looking from the other side as survivors of sexual abuse, and I'm looking at little Aaron and thinking, you're being disciplined for being raped. <laughs> Basically, exactly, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So the whole the whole purpose is for teachers to become now more aware and educated on how to properly identify kids that are being abused Mm -hmm. and the proper way to handle when a child discloses. You know, a lot of people don't call the hotline and call DCFS. You know, a lot of people don't call law enforcement. Instead, they call home and think mom needs to handle this. Mm -hmm. You know. Every state, you're a mandated reporter. Mm-hmm. And, but yet, so often, when they are not properly trained on how to be mandated reporters, they basically just have to sign a piece of paper at the beginning of the school year saying they'll call law enforcement and report abuse if a child discloses, and that's it. Mm-hmm. They've got no training. And I, once again, hear horror stories of kids disclosing in school, and the principal, the school social worker, the teacher calling mom. Yeah. And law enforcement doesn't get involved until the next day. Child goes home and recants everything by the time police get involved because the kid has been threatened at home not to repeat this. Don't say anything to anyone. I mean, I hear it all the time. And I told. And it's it's really sad. So not only do we need to educate our kids, we need to educate the educators. And some people think this is a conversation that needs to be left in the home. We should not put this responsibility on the schools to teach kids this. (laughs) And you know what my argument to them is? Every time I get a room full of hundreds of parents, I ask them, how many of you talk to your kids about stranger danger? Every mm-hmm. hand goes up in the room. Because mm-hmm. every parent starts talking to their kids about strangers. There's all this fear mm-hmm. about somebody snacking their kid while they're waiting for the bus. When the reality is over 90% of the time, it's someone children know and trust that are hurting them. Then I ask these parents, same parents, how many of you talk to your kids about personal body safety? You know, if you're being abused, you don't keep it a secret. You tell a safe adult you will be believed. This isn't your fault. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky if I can get four hands in a room full of 300 parents to go up. Ugh. Those are the three or four moms or dads coming up to me after my event and telling me I was abused by my father, by my grandfather, by my aunts. And I educate my kids on this because I don't want them to be silent the same way as me. Yeah. Well, my argument is we can't just have the abused parents educating their kids. No. So if we can't require that parents do this, Where's one other place kids spend most of their time? It is in schools. The one place that we know and I can ensure that kids will get this education. And I've been doing this now since 2010. And as you mentioned, you know, my goal was first to get it passed in my home state of Illinois, 
which I did. And now I've taken it state to state to get it passed in all 50. And it just got passed in May. I went to Georgia, mm-hmm. um, went to the Capitol and had it signed there in, in, the, in the 35th state. So we have 15 states left to get this passed in. I mean, that's huge for you to have been able to get that far in that short of time. I'm, I mean, I'm incredibly proud of you. And it's been neat to even have been speaking in other states myself and people bring it up and know about it and to be able to just say, oh, yeah, like I'm behind that and I'm really excited for what Aaron's doing. So I'm just really proud of you. I know you you quit your day job to be able to just you know, champion this cause. And I think it's really been worth it and it's saving so many kids. So really proud of you, Erin. Yeah, thanks. I, you know, it was a toss up. Do I do this or do I do that? And I decided to follow my passion and follow my heart of what I felt was my calling that God put on my life to do. Um, And that's why I went the direction I did and and have made it my, you know, mission to get this passed in every state. Um, You know, it's unfortunate it's not passed in Ohio yet where you are. Um, especially as they've made it very clear to legislators. I've got a ton of family in Ohio from my husband's side mm-hmm. that I want to ensure that this state, you know, does get this done and I don't want it to be the last one. <laughs> yeah. What is really helping now is the fact that um, because so many states have passed this, you're seeing success stories come out of it as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a man here in my state of Illinois was just recently um, a year ago, convicted and, and sentenced to 40 years in prison after wow. a nine-year-old disclosed to her teacher immediately, this is what it was reported in the newspaper, um, in the local news stations, the, the nine-year-old told her teacher immediately after the Aaron Saw presentation um, what her mom's boyfriend had been, had been raping her since she was three years old. And so he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. Wow. All because of one lesson on Aaron's law. Mm. And there's been other stories popping up. South Carolina has had multiple stories. Um, the most recent, a man was sentenced 25 years for abusing two separate relatives who both mm-hmm. came forward after being caught Aaron's law. Mm-hmm. And, and then there was the Maryland teacher um, who was arrested after a 12-year-old disclosed in the middle of the presentation that her former teacher oh, wow. began abusing her was 10 and he was still abusing her oh wow and this was the teacher she's described in the newspaper Mm. yeah this was the teacher described in the paper as everybody's favorite the parents wanted their kids to get this teacher because he was the favorite teacher that everybody liked and that's what often these predators do they they know how to sugarcoat things and make them look like these sweet fun you know wonderful people when really they have an agenda. And because this 12-year-old disclosed her abuse after this Aaron's Law presentation, four more kids came forward and disclosed that the teacher was also sexually abusing them <sighs> in the classroom. Wow, incredible. And he was sentenced to 48 years in prison last <sighs> August. Wow. Yeah. So it's really making a difference. And, and it all comes back to your own story, Aaron. I mean, if you... If you hadn't gone through what you did, you wouldn't have the passion to do today. But I, I wish you hadn't. I Just like I wish I hadn't, I wish, truly wish Mary had never experienced sexual abuse. None of us. But I also know that it plays such a big role in our purpose today. And you're doing such an amazing thing through Aaron's Law. Could you share a little bit about your story with those who, you know, may not know? Are not familiar? Yeah. yeah. Um, when I was six years old, I met my best friend 
through Daisy Scouts. Um, we were in the same Daisy troop and end up learning she lived up the street from me. Um, so when I went to go play with her house, I discovered that her dad did not live with her. He wasn't even in her life. But her mom was a single mom taking care of her, her little brother, but her mom's brother, her uncle, lived with her. And he was the one that watched the kids while mom worked. So mom worked all the time while he watched the kids. Well, it would be in kindergarten at my first very first time spending the night at her house that I would wake up in the middle of the night to the uncle coming into the bedroom and sexually abusing me. And he told me, mm. you keep this a secret, don't tell anyone. Mm. Well, this abuse went on from the ages of six, seven, eight and a half, um, repeatedly at overnights, eventually it turned to play dates when I was at her house. Mm-hmm. And I eventually made a pinky promise with my best friend who made me pinky promise that I would not tell anybody what he does because he told her, threatened her that they would lose their home and mom wouldn't be able to stay there if she told anyone what he was doing to her. And with me, he threatened me and told me, I know where you live, I will come get you. And they lived down the street from us. So I knew he knew where I lived. Certainly. He dropped my friend Ashley off many times. Mm. So I lived with this constant fear that, you know, he was going to be waiting under my bed or hiding in my closet at night. And that's what these predators do. They threaten and silence kids with whether it's threats or just putting, you know, fear in them. And, you know, and, and that's the sad reality of if we're not educating them and they're not getting information, the only education kids are getting is from the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. And that's to stay silent. Don't Ugh. tell anybody. Ugh. And that's why these kids are not coming forward until they're, you know, 25 years old and a heroin addict and in drug rehab and telling the, you know, yeah. the drug counselor why they've, why they're shooting up. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you numbing this pain for so many years? Yeah. Yeah. Now, finally, someone's exactly. asking the why question. <laughs> exactly. Or why this girl is starving herself and she's, you know, down to 85 pounds in, in a hospital because she's anorexic because nobody knew what was going on, you know, when she was six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. Because no one was educating her on it. And so through that abuse, you know, I was acting out. I was displaying all the red flags. The only reason my abuse ended was because we moved. We moved to a new neighborhood, and I was no longer being abused. And from there, after that situation, uh, moving to a new neighborhood made new friends. I was going to a new school. Mm -hmm. It was through that experience um, that I realized and had no idea But moving was getting me that much closer to the next perpetrator in my life. It wasn't the stranger danger. Every year now I had been taught from kindergarten to mm-hmm. fifth grade, the same police officer came in, showed us the same video every year. His name was Officer Friendly, and he taught us about strangers. He showed us the creepy video of the stranger abducting the kids, pulling them into the car, or trying to kidnap them off the street. And they always describe, you know, the, the image they always used of this man in the video was the guy that looked like he hadn't bathed in months. We looked homeless, missing teeth, greasy hair, mm. rusty car. Right. When the reality is these people are often clean cut, yeah. highly educated individuals that are abusing kids. Yeah. Yep. So family members, coaches, pastors. Family members, coaches. Yes, exactly. Firemen, you name it. Mm. And so I now at age 11 woke up to my older teenage cousin who lived down the street from me, sexually abusing me Mm. when we were all spending the night at our grandparents' house. Mm. And I didn't want to believe it. I thought he didn't sleep, tried to convince myself. It was 
all done, unintentional. And six months later, he did it again while we were wide awake while I was over at his house. And it mm. continued. And that's when the threat started. This is our secret. You will destroy our family if you tell anyone, Aaron. You have no proof I'm doing this to you. So all I'm thinking is I'm not going to be believed and I'm going to ruin our family. And so I stayed quiet. And the abuse continued at family gatherings, family holidays. And often his mother started getting me to babysit his two little brothers for three and six. And he'd abuse me on multiple occasions when I was babysitting them. He'd always see his mom leave and then he'd come home. And it continued to get worse and worse. And it went on from the age of 11 until I was 13. And what got me to finally disclose my abuse was not that police officer, the same police officer that taught us stranger danger that just spent six weeks teaching us D.A.R.E. And they gave us that little D.A.R.E. card when you were that D.A.R.E. graduate. And on the back of that card, it lays out the eight ways on how to say no to drugs. Well, I take that D.A.R.E. card around and I go to one legislator after another, one state capital after another, and I show them this D.A.R.E. card. And you know I tell these legislators? <laughs> I say, you see this card? I was taught the eight ways to say no to drugs. And I can clearly stand here before you today and tell you I have never even put a cigarette in my mouth because I knew the consequences because I had been educated for six weeks over and over and over again by a police officer. I said, but the one message that never came to me was the eight ways on how to get away until today. The only education I got was from the perpetrators, and that was to keep it a secret, and that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Really try to throw that across to them, and it was shortly after we were taught dare that my 11-year-old sister came to me and blurted out the words, Brian's gross. And I'll never forget that moment because Brian was that cousin that was abusing me. And I knew in that minute, the second she said that, that he was doing it to her too. And I looked at her and I said, he's doing it to you too? Wow. Yes. And so we go to find out he was doing it to both of us. Um, but the positive thing with her coming forward, it allowed me to break my silence and, you know, two of us coming forward against one built a much stronger case against our cousin. Yeah. Well, and just to have each other in that, um, you know, because you do feel so alone and it's your fault. And you're going through all these lies and the shame and everything. But to have that buddy there and, you know, probably one of your best friends to fight through it together. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess that's like well, that, a little silver lining there exactly. for you. Well, exactly. Especially when it divides a family. Yeah. It, it You know. You know, it's one thing if it is the coach or the neighbor, but when it comes to family, it really, you know, people take sides. Mm -hmm. Um, Denial sets in. It's hard for people to accept the truth, especially when that person that does the abuse is the last person you would have expected to do such a thing. It was nice to have her, you know, with me in, in the same corner going through the same thing understanding, you know, what each other were going through. Definitely. I mean, I think Realizing you're not alone is so powerful for survivors of sexual abuse. Oh, very much so. Mm-hmm. People need to understand that they're not alone. This isn't their fault. Yeah. And that for so long, I felt so alone and I kept my secret locked away in my childhood diary. Only you didn't know who else to talk to. I think that's one exactly. big reason that Mary and I want to do this podcast is just for survivors to be able to hear from other survivors and to know they're not alone. So many of our stories overlap and the effects are so similar and it can feel lonely and scary and shameful. But when you know that you're not the only one that's feeling that and who's gone through that, it, it kind of lets the light in a little bit. Well, what people also realize is when they let go of the shame and start to put a voice to it, 
you'd be amazed by how many people in your life will suddenly start disclosing to you the same thing happened to them. Mm -hmm. It might be your boss. It might be your best friend, another relative, somebody close to you in your life that you had no idea they had been through this because you both had experienced the same thing, but nobody talks about Mm -hmm. it. But it happens to a lot more people than people realize. It certainly does. One part of your healing journey that I think has been unique um, compared to many of the other survivors that I know is that you wrote a letter to your abuser. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? And, you know, what you would say to other survivors who are listening that might even be contemplating doing that? I've had many people write to me, Nicole, I I feel like I need to confront my abuser or I need to extend forgiveness or I need to write a letter to my abuser. What do you think? So I'm wondering from someone who actually did that, as you know, my stepfather took his own life before I could confront him face to face or write a letter to him. He committed suicide after I told So I didn't have that opportunity, but you did. So I'm wondering um, what that looked like for you. And again, what would you say to other survivors behind you on the healing journey that might be thinking about doing the same thing? Yeah, well, I was for such a long time going down such a destructive path as a high schooler, self-injury, suicide attempt, depressed. You know, I was a miserable person. And I was on antidepressants, sleep medication, you name it, to keep me happy. And I was told by a therapist, Write a letter to your cousin and get all your anger out. Mm. She goes, don't really send it, but just write a letter and bring it in next week. And get all your anger out, get all your feelings out. And so I did. I went home and I wrote this letter. And it turned into a five-page letter of just anger and hate felt that I felt towards him okay. for what he did to me. Yeah. Never in a million years did I think that writing that letter would in turn to me looking up his college email address, and I realized this therapist doesn't need to hear this. He does. Wow. wow. So I found, he was going, I found where he was going to college, and after a few hesitative thoughts, I took that letter and put it into, copied and pasted it into an email, and just before midnight, I clicked send. Now, if you were to read the letter, which anybody could read in my first book, Stolen Innocence, yeah. I, I, um, very, it was a very nasty letter. You wouldn't think I would get a response. Mm-hmm. But a week later, I did. I got five sentences to my five pages, but it opened up this whole door of communication for seven months. Mm-hmm. We went back and forth in, in emails of me trying to, I wanted him to feel guilty and feel responsible. I wanted to break him down and make him feel like a horrible person because I felt that he got away with what he did to my sister and I mm-hmm. with you know, a few months of probation. Right. You wanted justice or you at least wanted him to own what he did. Yes. If I, you know, if I felt like he spent a day in jail, but I wanted him to feel, you know, through my words, I just wanted to break him down and make him feel like an awful, terrible person. Right. You know, I wanted, there was, there was the closest thing I was going to get to some sort of justice. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and, and, and it was, it was nasty. And I was actually surprised he continued to respond back and forth with me. And I wanted answers. Why did you do this? What caused you to be so evil and sick? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get into his head and try to understand him. And over the course of those seven months, my anger suddenly turned to seven months later, seeing a letter that most survivors never get. And that's, Aaron, I'm sorry for what I did to you. I hope you can forgive me. But if you cannot, I understand. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading this going, oh, my gosh, like, you know, 
telling me sorry, you know, and, you know, coming from a Christian home, I remember two years earlier, my mom told me, Aaron, one day you'll be able to forgive your cousin. Um, and I looked at her and I stormed out of the kitchen in anger. And I said, I will never forgive him. He got away with this. I can't believe you're even considering that thought mm-hmm. of forgiving him. And I stormed out of the kitchen so angry that my mother was going to sit there and try to talk to me about forgiving my cousin. Right. And here I was two years later getting this letter from him saying, I'm sorry. Mm. And I thought to myself, it opened up my eyes. And I said, by staying angry and, and, and bitter and ahead at him, I'm only hurting one person. I said, I'm hurting myself. He mm. can't feel that anger. Yeah. He can't feel that hatred. Right. I'm just continuing to allow him to take another day of my joy and happiness. Why give this man's action, if this man's actions, any more of my happiness? He's already taken so much. Yeah. You know, I mean, I had eye opener of, you know, the devil, Satan sitting in the corner, just loving, sitting back, just loving this. That I am just so angry and bitter and mad and how my cousin's actions continue to give me nightmares and flashbacks. When the reality is I thought to myself, it was through that moment of writing him back and telling him I forgive him, that I realized I could spend the rest of my life angry and hating him, or I can forgive him, move on, and decide to turn this negative thing he did to me into something positive. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. Yep. I wrote him back and said, I forgive you. I'm not going to. I'm not going to sit here and spend another day hating you. I'm going to do something positive with this and give other people, you know, a, a facing voice um, not to stay silent, you know, um, through the same experiences that you put me through. I go, I'm not going to spend another day hating you. Mm-hmm. You know, not give you. And I often tell a lot of survivors, yeah, you're not going to have the same experience I did and get that response back. You might not get that apology that I got. You might get someone completely flat out denying this. Yeah. But the one thing you do by confronting them is you reclaim your voice. And the one thing you do by forgiving them is you give yourself back your peace of mind, your joy, and your happiness. As soon as I forgave him, oh my gosh, the nightmares, the flashbacks, it was like I completely conquered the past and this man could no longer haunt me. When, you know, I, I, get mention of them, and suddenly I would just be reliving the awful things that he had done to me. Right. And I wish, I wish, you know, as that 15-year-old that stormed out of the kitchen and was angry at my mom, which told me about forgiving, could have understood that concept of, of the relief it would have brought me to forgive him then, then waiting until I was 18. But the reality is, I realized how fortunate I was, because there's most survivors that do not get to that place of healing until they're in there. 40s, 50s, sometimes 70s. I found it as a senior in high school. And so that's the deciding factor for me to turn my life story into a book and and go public with it because I knew there were so many other people out there that were suffering and I wanted them to realize that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And that you too can, you can't change the past. So why not focusing on something you can change? And that's the future. And in order for me to change the future, it's forgiving my perpetrator. I mean, I was I was standing two feet away from his cousin yesterday on a beach with my children, and he doesn't face me. Wow! I, mean, I was you know, just I, getting I, ready to I, ask after <laughs> that last email uh, correspondence about the whole forgiveness piece and him saying I'm sorry and you saying I forgive you. I was going to ask if the conversation ended there, but obviously it didn't. No, people often ask me where you know where the relationship stands today. You know, 
this was a cousin, as I tried to explain to people, that, you know, locked me behind many bedroom doors, basements, mean, abused me, threatened me, and then went on to ask for forgiveness. But the reality is there's still a family members that are in extreme denial with what he did, even after he confessed to this. And by me going public with my story, um, that really upsets a lot of people in our, in our family, including his family. Um, even though I changed our names and I did not, I did not go public as, as a state of revenge to get back at him. Cause if I did it that way, I wouldn't have changed my name. I wouldn't have made up, changed his name right. or any of our other relatives names. I could have kept our story completely public. Yeah, exactly. And, right, right, and, right. And ruined his life, basically. Yeah. But I didn't do that. I did it as a way of, by my direction, with it was to put a face and voice on this. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is, you know, by me doing this, it caused a lot of issues, drama in, in my large extended family, my dad's side. Um, so when I see my cousin to this day, people often ask me, do you speak to him? Um, no, I don't. I, um, I have in 14 years since I went public with my story, I've, I've had one very brief conversation with him on that same beach I was on yesterday um, with his two-year-old taking a toy out of my then one-year-old Abby's hand. And he had to come re- return the, the toy and it kind of forced him to talk to me. Oh, wow. Um, but mm-hmm. yes, it kind of forced him to have a, have a brief conversation with me. I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. Kids will be kids. And he said, congrats. I'm being a mom because he saw, you know, my daughter was just turning 12 months old and, you know, that cause it, was, so it was just a very brief conversation. But, you know, I find myself in many situations since our families do own beach houses that all share the same beach. His parents and my parents, for since we were little, little, little kids, mm-hmm. have come to the same beach, own mm-hmm. beach homes. So we're often sitting on the same beach, you know, with our kids. And while... We don't really um, say anything. I spoke to his. I spoke to his wife actually briefly um, over the weekend for the first time in about three years. Just had a brief conversation because she's due with her fourth child the same time I'm due with my third the same month. Wow! And so I briefly just, you know, um, we discussed when we were due and things like that. But other than other than the very brief hello small talk, um, because of the public publicity around what I do, um, there's still a lot of anger there from, from, from his family, particularly his parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, his parents won't even look at me. Mm-hmm. They get up and walk away when, when they often see me because there's so much anger and resentment towards me and not wanting to believe mm-hmm. that their son did this, even though he confessed to police and in letters to me to them, it is still none of it's true. And they have told many people that they've told many people that, and I've tried to put myself in my aunt and uncle's shoes. Mm-hmm. My cousin, I mean, my cousin and I even discussed it. Aaron, what would you do? Mm-hmm. What would you do if? if and, and I've had a conversation with my husband. What would you do if we had a sixteen-year-old son mm-hmm. sexually being our our his little cousins who were, you know, eleven and thirteen? Mm-hmm. What would you do with your? Well, son, I know you, know you wouldn't do that. I know that you would not overlook it, Aaron. Oh, no. And I told my husband, I feel terrible because I no parent wishes this on somebody. Nobody no. wants their kid to grow up and be a predator. Right. I said, but I will tell you one thing. If we had a son that did something like that, they would never be allowed back in our home again. I would never stop loving my child. Mm-hmm. 
I stayed, but they would be removed from the home and be living somewhere else so they could not harm another child. We got that child. Right, yeah. And, and if that kid went away to a juvenile home and came back in the picture, that child, that teenage boy, will not be alone with kids. Right. I'm sorry. It, and it, you would support the victim oh, and exactly. believe her. So it's very different. Oh, exactly. It's very different. Oh, so how do you totally deal with different. critics then, Aaron, when it comes to being around, you know, someone like that? Do you just continue to speak truth to the lies that are coming into your mind um, or the things, you know, that maybe some people are saying or those family members are saying? Like, what do you do? You know what I've learned over the years? I've I've walked a very strong, I have a very strong faith, um, but I have just continued to discover because of my Christian faith that when you're out there on the front lines fighting to protect kids from abuse, Satan will come in every direction to just try to knock you down, beat you up, you name it, to throw you off your course, distract you. And it has happened multiple times, and I have seen it happening more and more, always around the time when I've got this best in another state, and something comes up where crazy things occur in my life, um, everything from being harassed and stalked by people mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to other things that, that, that come into my life. And, and I've discovered I just need to continue to walk the path I am on, straighten narrow, focus on my faith and my calling in my life, and not allow the distractions, you know, that I'm hearing on the sidelines mm-hmm. keep me from accomplishing this goal I'm going forward with. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, I could that. tell you, yeah, I mean, I could tell you crazy stories. And you have. <laughs> um, and I have many, yes, I have many crazy stories. Yes. But I don't let, I don't let those things, you know, like I said, stop me because God had told me mm-hmm. nine years ago that I get this law passed in all 50 states. And when people ask me, how are you, you know, everything from reporters to survivors, but how do you have so much confidence that you'll get this done and determination? You're just so like convicted that it's going to happen. I go, cause God told me I'd get it done before I even got it passed in the first state. <laughs> so it's a no brainer to me. Yeah. Then you just keep moving forward and keep your eyes on that prize and keep going. That's so good. I think it's really hard, you know, to do this work. And I mean, you and I both know there are critics left and right. And, um, there oh, are yeah. many forces, you know, that we can't even see that want to tear us down and stop us from completing this good work. Um, but we can't look at that. I think you, you're doing a great job and in, in just keeping your eyes on the light and not letting darkness dispel that. And um, so I'm really proud of you. And I, my prayer is you would just keep going. And also that those listening today would come behind the law. How can they do that? How can they help support yeah. it? And what would you like other people to do that are interested in helping? Well, if this law, my, my biggest thing is if this law has not been passed in your state, mm-hmm. then you can go on the Aaron's Law website, um, Aaron's Law, it's all one word, dot org, uh, or you just type in Aaron's Law on Google and you'll find it in two seconds. And you'll see a map and it'll show you what states have passed this and then the 15 states it's pending it. And if you see that it is not passed in your state, Write your legislators, not just your local state legislator in your district. Mm-hmm. Write them all. Mm-hmm. Tell them to support this bill, that this is important to you, that, 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 that you want your kids to be taught this, you want your grandkids to be taught this. If you have a personal story of abuse, how this law could have changed your life. Mm-hmm. 
had it been around. Right. You know, that's the most important thing I ask people to do. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Ohio legislators don't need to hear from some girl from Chicago. They need to hear from the people that live in that state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same goes with the people from New York and North Carolina. They need to hear what the people that live in the state that they want this to be done. And so those people that realize this has been passed in your state, the follow-up. Contact if your kids are in school. Contact the principals, the superintendents, and ask them, what are you doing to implement Darren's law? Find out. You know, well, and that was my other question. For those, so let's say they search and it is passed in their state, but they're not having any education in their schools. What would you tell them to that's do? That's when I say, if the principal does nothing, you go to the State Board of Education, mm-hmm. the, the superintendent, and you go to the top of the Department of Education in the state and say, this law passed in my state in this year, mm-hmm. and my school is doing nothing about it. Mm-hmm. I have discovered in, in, in some areas in my own state of Illinois, when you put some pressure on, things get done. Awesome. Even sometimes I have to go to the media. Chicago Public Schools have done a terrible job at teaching Aaron Sauce since it's been passed. And this huge scandal just broke, and it's been all over the news, uh-huh. about Chicago Public Schools having dozens of children that were sexually abused by teachers, substitute teachers, other people that worked in schools and did not properly handle these disclosures and report it to DCSS, the law enforcement. And so it's this huge story that's been in the news for like over a month now. Mm. And Aaron's Law has been covered multiple times as a result because Chicago public schools are failing to teach it. Mm. And so all this pressure is now being put on them. So it's basically telling people to reach out to their Department of Education and demand answers and continue until you start seeing this in the schools. Is there a specific curriculum that you're recommending for them to use or just bring in guest speakers? Yeah, there's a list of curriculum on my website Perfect. that I encourage um, that's research-based. You want research-based curriculum. You don't want people just pulling curriculum out of thin air because that could do more damage than good. Yes. So research-based curriculum, there's several programs throughout the country mm-hmm. and international as far away as Australia, Canada, mm-hmm. that I recommend that is right on my website. Okay, perfect. So people yeah. can just go to aaronslaw.org. Yep, Excellent. and there was a federal bill of Aaron's Law passed that federally funds the bill, okay. um, the law. So there is federal dollars, so this is not an unfunded mandate. Mm-hmm. So schools are struggling to find resources to pay for curriculum or hire an outside agency to come in and teach their students. You just have to go to the Department of Education and say, I need federal dollars under the Every Student Succeeds Act, which Aaron's Law is written into, and ask for federal dollars to purchase curriculum or pay for these trainers, educators. Well, we just encourage everyone to check that out for sure. Um, Aaron, you're amazing. And I'm so glad you're my friend. (laughs) Thanks for taking the time to talk Mm -hmm. with us today to share your story and just your heart and passion. No doubt that those listening will be empowered to want to do something with their own stories to make a difference. I think that's why we're all here and we're all, you know, in this together because we really are one voice against sexual abuse. And um, yeah, so thank you, Aaron. No, thanks for having me. All right. Well, hopefully we'll connect soon since you'll probably be a mile away within the next few months. Oh, (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> we'll storm the state house together. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. I very much so will take you with me. All right. <laughs> we'll be ready. All right. Have a great day, Erin. Good- you too. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked. And don't forget, you can shop online to purchase Nicole's books at IamOneVoice.org. And you can check us out on Facebook.